the, the, the folks that are here to, to be a little extra, uh, a little extra volume from you today. Um, so make sure you're, you're participatory. Uh, we, we need that uh, a lot this morning. Um, it's kind of a crazy, crazy time. The cold, I, uh, we're talking to several people. Yes, it's cold, but it was 60 this week, y'all. We got nothing to complain about, all right? I don't know if you noticed that or not. It's December and it was 60. It's supposed to be 30 degrees. So, so we really don't have anything to, to complain about at all. I'm going to dive right in uh, so we can get started and, and get on to some, some serious issues here at the beginning. But um, we've been studying from the book of Luke about the miracles of Jesus for the last 10 weeks, actually, already. Hard to believe it's been 10 weeks, but for the last 10 weeks already. And we will resume that on Sunday, January 2nd. Yes, the new year will be upon us here in just a few short weeks. Um, but what we're going to do is we're going to take a quick break here from studying the miracles of Jesus to focus on the miracle that is Jesus and his birth, his coming to this earth for all mankind. We're going to be doing so by looking at some of the words that we associate with this season of the year. You've already heard some of those in some of the songs this morning. But we're going to start in a little different place. We're going to start with one of Paul's letters, this time to the church in Ephesus. So if you've got your Bible, uh, or you can use a Bible under the seat in front of you, or open your app or whatever, because there's definitely some verses here that if you do not have highlighted, you need highlighted in your material. We'll be in chapter 4 of Ephesians, beginning in verse 29. One of my favorite things that Paul wrote has to do with the words that we use in our lives. Now, Paul's writing to the church, and he's sharing with them very specifically, this is a great way to live in this world. This is how we as believers should live in this world. This is how to get along. This is how to be Jesus to other people, how to live a life set apart from the rest of the world. And one of the things that he tells us is specifically geared toward our speech, the words that we use. You may or may not realize it, but even in the world that we live, the words we use matter. How we speak to other people matter greatly. I mean, it is important. Now, Paul's first addressing the believers. Absolutely, he's talking to the people in the church. But these verses absolutely pertain to those that do not yet have a relationship with Jesus yet. Because as believers, both our words and our actions can either help lead people closer to Jesus, or it can definitely drive people away from Jesus as well. So listen to Paul's words. Verse 29, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, all rage, all anger, all brawling, all slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Now, let's start at the beginning. Let no unwholesome talk. I've had this conversation with believers before. This is not a passage to make you feel guilty. It's a passage to make you remember whose you are. No unwholesome talk. How much? None. Not when you're out with the guys. Not when you're really frustrated or upset or you even stub your toe. <laughs> no. Not when you're at work. Not when you're at church. None. Why? Why does it matter? Why do the words that we use matter? Well, it's an example, you see, that we set. People are watching, whether it's our kids, our spouses, our employees, whatever. 
And here's the thing. If we talk just like everyone else, if we respond just like everyone else, if we are critical, we are hateful, we are negative, just like everyone else, guess what? You and I, we're just like everyone else. And that's not who we're called to be. We're supposed to be different. We're supposed to be set apart. That's a big difference. And one of the greatest ways in this world, one of the most obvious examples that people see in us is what we say, the language we choose to use. Now, here's the thing. Paul is a great teacher. He never says, hey, don't do this, and then walks away from it ever. He always follows it up. Don't do this. No, no, no. Do this instead. He said, don't do this. Do this. Only use language that is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Think about it. In our world, if you used that kind of speech, it would be revolutionary. No one talks like that anymore. All we do is tear one another down. To purposefully limit our words to building others up, imagine the difference that would make. And then you compound that by getting rid of all bitterness and rage and anger and brawling and slander and every other form of malice or cruelty. Getting rid of those things from our conversations, how would that change your world that you live in? Your relationship with your spouse, with your kids, with your coworkers, within the community? How about the world all around you? How would it be different for them if we changed our vocabulary as believers? And then Paul finishes it by saying, be kind and compassionate to one another. He doesn't just tell you don't. He just doesn't tell you do. He says don't and do because. Because here's why you should do this. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. There's your reason. Not because pastor said so, but because Christ died for me. And I now get to live for him. It's an incredible change. Now, how on earth does that relate to this series? Great question. That's my job is to tie it all together. The wonderful words of Christmas. You see, when we get near to Christmas, there are weird words that we really do not use any other time of year. Things that we say that just we just don't say. Things that we sing even that only happen around December 25th. So over the next few weeks, we're going to take a look at a few of the words and phrases that we say and, and speak this time of year. We're going to explore how they relate to the birth of Jesus and how we can use them to help bring the true meaning of the season, because everybody's using these words, to those that we interact with every day. We're going to look at some of the words that are special to us. Thank you for all of you that participated in that. We got a, got a long list of words to look through and some, some nice stories that you'll hear throughout this, this series, and we'll see if you recognize yours, <laughs> what you told me um, in that list. I love making these things personal. And that allows us to do this. So thank you for participating in that little survey that we sent out. We're going to explore some words that you might not associate with Christmas, to be quite honest. You might not associate with the birth of Jesus, but you'll see how they relate to the birth story and then ultimately how they uh, relate to the, the, the coming of this most incredible gift the world has ever known, the gift of Jesus. Because the reality is this. More and more people around us are celebrating the birth of Jesus or what we call Christmas, but they do so with absolutely no knowledge or appreciation or the saddest part, no real belief in the one that we're celebrating. And we got to help change that. So through these words, we're praying that God might open a door 
for conversations for you to share the impact of the birth of Jesus and what that impact has been on your life with those around you that need to hear what Jesus is all about. So we're going to start in a very, very strange place. At least it seems strange um, for a lot of people because this isn't a word you often associate probably with Christmas. The word is pain. Think about the Christmas songs that we sing. Are you familiar with the word pain being discussed in any of them? Let me just rewrite a few of them. Um, a painful night. We sing that every year, right? Oh, wait, that's Silent Night, different. Um, oh, painful night, see, because we really like to vary things up a little bit. Um, pain to the world. Not exactly what we see. Uh, pain is coming. Painful Christmas. We don't say those things. We wish you a painful Christmas. I don't think you would say that to anybody walking down the street. At least I hope you wouldn't. Now, hopefully, maybe pain isn't a word that you associate with Christmas in your life. And if that is the case, that is great. But we need to pause for a moment and acknowledge the reality that there are definitely people who do associate the word pain with Christmas. You see, holidays have a tendency to bring back pains from the past. Hurtful memories, experiences that people might be forced to relive because of the holidays. And probably the greatest pain of all that people experience during the holidays is that of loss. Christmas can be very hard when we miss loved ones, can't it? When we can't be as near to those that we would like to be near to that means so much to us, the pain is real. And if you're struggling today, the first thing we're going to do to begin this series is pay, pray for those that are experiencing that pain. And I told you earlier, we would more specifically pray for the countless families now that have lost a loved one on Friday night, Saturday morning due to freak storms in the middle of December. This is unheard of. Nobody's prepared for that. Nobody's ready for that ever, let alone this time of year. We've even got somebody here in the church that would, is, is, he and I are going to work to try to possibly do something this week and get something set up. But if you are in a point in life or a position at your job where you would be willing to possibly even go down and help in Kentucky, see that guy in the green shirt right in the middle with the clip. His name's Mark Fields. He's waving his arms to give him your name and number. And if we work out something this week where we can send a small crew down to go help, we would love Love, love to do that. That's, that's my heart as a youth minister. React. When things happen, you respond. You go and you serve those in need. You can't imagine what those people are going through. I mentioned earlier, you know there are believers that have lost loved ones as a result of that. And it's hard for those people, but there's hope for those people. Because there's a lot of non-believers that lost loved ones in that, and there is no hope in that situation for those people. we got to bring the hope. And so if we get a chance, who knows what God might, what doors God might open up over this next week. So if you're able, let him know. And we'll contact you this week if, if God fills in the details and works out a plan of action for us. It's who we're called to be. So let's pray. Father God, as we come before you to study your word, as we, we think about these words of Christmas, pain isn't one that we associate, but it is a reality for so, so, so many people. 
It might even seem like an odd place to start a series like this, but, but Father, th we are supposed to mourn with those who mourn. We are supposed to be with them, to serve, to love those people. And if there's brothers and sisters in our midst this morning that are going through pain because of this season, it just brings back those memories then, Father, would we please just gather them and wrap them up in your love, pray for those people, be there for those people. Maybe there's a need in their life right here that we as a church can meet, that we as individuals can meet. It might be the simplest of things, but, Father, how will we ever know if we don't know that they're in pain? If we don't talk about these issues, if we just ignore them like they don't exist, then those people pretend like everything's fine, but the reality is it's not. And we need to recognize that and we need to love those people through this pain. It may or may not take the pain away, but Father, we can bring them comfort. We can assure them of your love for them and of your help in their situation. Father, for those south of us that are, are struggling right now, we can't imagine the grief that they are going through, the difficult times. People that have lost everything, even that didn't lose loved ones but lost their homes. Father, lost their jobs, lost their businesses, lost their property. I mean, there's this endless list of, of losses that could possibly exist. And if it's possible to help out in any way, we pray that you open that door for us to step in and be involved and to help. But Father, right now, the most important thing we can do is pray for those individuals, you know, each and every one of them. Father, pray for those people and those families that are this Christmas is going to be the worst ever. Father, let us lift them up, not just today in this moment, but Father, throughout this season, as here in a few days, the media, the world will have forgotten about the entire incident. Father, don't let us forget. Let us remember daily those people throughout these holidays that are suffering through this tragedy. Father, we pray for peace. We pray for comfort. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, that won't be the end for today. We're definitely going to bring the hope at the end. Don't worry, but you've got to deal with those realities. Hang on, we'll get there. Let's start with this word pain. How does this relate to Scripture? Well, it's actually quite obvious. We'll go to Luke chapter 2. It's a very famous part of the Christmas story, beginning in verse 4, Luke chapter 2. Beginning in verse 4, it says this. Many of you could probably recite it with me. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth to Galilee to Judea. If that confuses you, he didn't go up, he went down. No, he went up because Bethlehem and, and, and Jerusalem were on hills, which were, yes, south of Nazareth, but were definitely up on hills. Down to the town of David because he belonged to the house and the line of David where he went to register with Mary who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there the time came for the baby to be born and she gave birth to her firstborn a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them or no room in the inn as your translation might say. Now here's the thing. When it comes to the birth story of Jesus, pain does not often make it into the story. So let me start with the really very obvious elephant in the room. Labor and delivery are hard. And in case you're wondering, I've been told it hurts. Right? There was no epidural, ladies. That didn't exist. There was no doctor. Ladies, that didn't exist either. There was no hospital. There was no earth. There, there was no um, nurse. There was no ice water. Don't you love the crunchy ice that they give you in the hospital? It's just wonderful to have. There was no Tylenol, for crying out loud. There was nothing. Where, can you even imagine that? We live in a world so far removed from that. Yeah, you read the story about somebody giving birth on the way to the hospital here and there. Those things happen occasionally. But we live in a world so far removed from this 
<laughs> we can't imagine what that would have been like. Nor do you want to, right, ladies? Like the pain would have been, it's crazy. But that was just the culmination of the pain, the birth. That might have been part of the easiest process, quite honestly, for Mary, because when you consider that over the last four to five days, she's traveled 70 to 80 miles from Nazareth to Bethlehem. No plane, no train, no automobile, just the legend of a donkey, because that's not actually mentioned in there, but probably did exist, and probably a fair amount of walking all while nine months pregnant, riding in a don on a donkey for 80 miles, four to five days, being nine months pregnant. Do you want to sign up for that? It's probably not. Can you imagine the exhaustion at the end of that journey prior to giving birth? Then you arrive at a town that you did not want to go to, to pay a tax that you definitely did not want to pay, only to find there's absolutely nowhere for you to stay and get any kind of privacy. It actually makes sense. It doesn't say that this happened this way. We don't know actually when she gave birth which night it was, but it makes sense that she might have even given birth that very night, you see, because her body physically had just gone through a tremendous amount of stress and anxiety. The stress of having to leave home, being nine months pregnant, the stress of having to travel, the reality of getting there and compounding all of that stress with there not being anywhere for you to comfortably stay, how would you react? To that situation. That would be stress overload for probably every single one of us in the room. So Mary definitely experienced some pain that first Christmas, first of all in the physical sense from giving birth, but there was emotional pain that she went through. She was alone. She had gone, when she found out that this was going to happen, she'd gone to her relative Elizabeth who had been carrying a child for six months to talk with her. And if, if you, you read, read the account and you read the timeline, it's quite likely that Mary stayed there with Elizabeth to help with the process of giving birth to be there for her. She had someone to comfort her and all these things when they delivered John the Baptist and now Mary and Joseph, they're left on their own, all alone to navigate this brand new experience. That would have been some emotional pain for sure. The mental pain, can we argue that Mary and Joseph really didn't fully understand what on earth was happening? They really didn't fully get this. They both had this strange encounter with an angel that told them this would happen, that everything would be okay. But the angel forgot to mention just a few critical things, like, A, oh, by the way, when it's time to give birth, you're going to uproot everything. You're going to leave and go to this foreign town that you're not familiar with. By the way, there'll be nowhere for you to stay while you're there, and you're probably going to give birth to this king in a manger. Do you really think that that was part of the story? He forgot to mention a few of those things in Luke 1 through 30. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You found favor with God. Really? This doesn't seem like favor at this point. You will conceive and give birth to a son. You are to call him Jesus. He will be great because the son of the most high God. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. And his kingdom will never end. But it's going to start in a stable with no one at all around to be there. That's probably not exactly the way they pictured the birth of a great king to look like. The confusion, the uncertainty, the exhaustion that had set in for them both. But specifically think of Mary. Does anyone in the room get exhausted during the holidays? Can I ask you a question? Why? What is exhausting about the holidays? Is it the hustle and the bustle? Is it the travel? Maybe you do travel. Is it the cooking? Is it the shopping? Is it the prep work? that goes into hosting, and I want you to consider your list. What is it that makes it exhausting for you? You got a mental list? If you're a person that gets exhausted, okay, hopefully you do. 
What do any of those have to do with the birth of our Savior? Because that's what we're celebrating. Are all of those things man-made distractions, things that we've put into place that often distract us from the true meaning of Christmas and even go so far as to cause many, actually, to resent the holiday all together. I, I talk to a lot of people, and I talk to people that do not like Christmas. I get it. If you have a hard time with the commercialization, if you have a hard time with what the holidays become, I understand that. But here's my question. Is that a reason to dislike it? Or are we allowing others and what they have made the holiday into to find this incredible day for us? Is our burnout due to the attempt each year to meet the expectation of others? Or are we by chance exhausted from all of the worship of our Savior who came to this earth. <laughs> You've probably never been that before, have you? I don't know if it's possible to be exhausted from worshiping your Savior, from giving thanks and praise to God for sending His one and only Son to this earth. Is it possible to be exhausted from that? I don't think so, because His joy will renew our strength when we're doing that. So if Christmas is a burden to you, if it's difficult for you, if it's a holiday you really don't like, then I want to challenge you this morning. Redefine it. Redefine Christmas for you and your family and put all of the emphasis on the only things that matter. Starting with number one, the miraculous birth of your Savior. Focus on that and not all the other and don't get exhausted. Christmas should not leave us exhausted unless we're focused on the wrong things. So here's what I want to do. I want to end today with some of the words that you said, and I told you the hope was coming. Words that you said that can help us focus on the right things for Christmas today. Yes, Mary was in pain. Yes, she was exhausted, but she was full of expectation. Now, I don't know about you in your life or, or what things you live excitedly expecting. In the world of adulthood, it seems like our only expectations are for negative things, right? We don't often expect positive things to happen. So maybe you have to re-go all the way back to your childhood and, and think about Christmas and the expectation of Christmas morning and those presents and the things you get to open. Maybe as a new parent, the expectation of a birth of a child or the expectation of, of a wedding day or the expectation of maybe a grandchild coming. Whatever it is, think about that. Mary was exhausted, but she was full of expectation. The angel had called her highly favored. She marveled at that description because she hadn't done anything to deserve that title. Who was she? She'd been told she would give birth to a son. And what had seemed to be impossible nine months ago had now become an actual physical reality on the night of his birth in Bethlehem. And so as she's recovering from delivery, and she holds that child, and she ponders what is to become of him. She recalls that promise of the angel, and specifically the final words of the angel. They said, there's nothing, nothing, nothing that is impossible with God. And I realize some newer translations don't use that phrase, but boy, they should, because the new phrase doesn't have the same impact at all. Nothing is impossible with God. Mary had to believe that. She had to believe that with all her heart because she just gave birth to a child and she was a virgin. And that's impossible. So she had to believe that, yes, God's telling the truth when he says nothing is impossible for me. And so she had to wonder, with you and I in Christ, do you have any expectations of Jesus? Is that too bold? Do you have any expectation? You expect Jesus to do these things. You see, when you come to Jesus, you're forgiven 
of your sins. He promises he will forgive you. But have you fully embraced and accepted that forgiveness in your own life? Are you still holding on to things from the past? Jesus promises to never leave you or forsake you. He will always be with you. But have you and I tried to to move away from him? Gone down paths in our own direction, doing our own things. Do we expect Jesus to show up in our lives every day? Do you expect when you wake up for Jesus to reveal himself throughout the day to you? Or do you just hope to casually bump into him when you actually need something? You see, it's okay to have expectations of Jesus. There's nothing wrong with that. Right now we're reading this devotion book, and I know some of you didn't get this. Um, and I, we ran out. It's a great problem to have. But then they were on back order, so I ordered more, and they were here on Friday, allegedly. They didn't come because I wanted to give them out today to anyone that didn't have them. If you don't have one of these yet and you would like one, they will be here and should be tomorrow. But they'll be here this week. Let us know. We want to get you one. Okay, I ordered more of them. There's only 30, plenty of time. Once the kids get out of school for Christmas, you can read a couple a day, get caught up very, very quickly in this. These 30 promises of God, there's a lot more throughout scripture, but these 30 promises of God, guess what? You can expect each and every one of them to come true. You can put your hope and your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ that every single one of these will come true. Do we do that? Do we do that? We can hold God to these things. We're not doing anything wrong with that because he promised he will never fail. Now, he might not meet them in the same way that we desire for him to meet it, but his promises will be kept every single one of them. Which leads us to another word that you guys sent in, another word that embodies the Christmas season, that is the word of hope. Jesus' arrival brought the hope to a people who had no hope under the oppression of the Roman occupation but jesus brought hope beyond the jews the angels famously said to the shepherds that they brought good news that will cause great joy for who all people (laughs) jesus brings that same hope today did you realize that jesus came to bring hope to all people there are no exceptions to that there's no group you could put in there no ethnicity you could put in there no religious faith out there in the world that exists that jesus did not come to bring hope to those people as well So as we remember the birth of Jesus, we remember first that there's hope for us, absolutely. Even though we are sinners, he died, he rose again for us in spite of all that's going on around us in this world in which we live. All of the fear that's being propagated, all the sin that is being encouraged. I have a future. I can have hope in Jesus Christ because I have a future beyond this world. This world isn't all there is because I'm a son or a daughter of Jesus Christ and God himself, the Father. And here's the best part. I want all of you to join me. Yes, every single one, in person, online, wherever. This hope allows us to live in this world, but not be jaded by everything that's happening around us. We are free. We are free to live in Christ. We are free to dream in Christ. There's dreams with Christmas. Did you ever dream about a present as a kid, about getting one? Think about it. You're allowed to dream. There's nothing wrong with that. We are free to dream in Christ because God alone, he alone gives us the hope that defines our future. Adults, when was the last time you dreamed about how God could use you? When was the last time you dreamed about how God could use you in your family, in your workplace, in your community, even in the greater context of the world? When was the last time you dreamed of how God could use us, the church here at Berea? Do you just come here? Or do you dream about what God could possibly do through us here as the body of Christ? When was the last time you dreamed these kinds of dreams? How could we change this community 
around us? Have you ever dreamed about how he could use you here within this place to go out from this place to reach the community? Have you ever prayed for dreams? Seriously, adults, have you ever prayed for dreams? Have you ever prayed about your dreams? Have you ever shared your crazy dreams that God has given you about what he might want you to do in this world? You see, God is at work changing you and who he desires you to be. And don't think he won't use dreams to do that. He always has. Why wouldn't he now? It only makes sense. Changing us as a family into who he wants us to be. Yeah, dreams. Now, I don't know how you see this world. I don't know how you see what lies ahead. But if you are in Christ, then he alone should be the one shaping and forming your view of today and tomorrow. And just as Mary put her hope in those crazy words of that angel, we can put our hope and our faith and our trust in not just the words, but the actions of our Savior, Jesus. And this season provides an incredible, incredible time to remind us of that reality, this hope that should last throughout the entire year and actually every day of every year because it's an eternal hope. It's not a momentary and it's not based on anything of this world. Finally, the last word, rejoice. Rejoice, what an incredible word. It's in songs that we sing at Christmas. But do you ever use that word in real life? When have you ever rejoiced and used that term around someone else? The angel Gabriel told a man named Zechariah, a priest named Zechariah, that many would rejoice at the miraculous birth of his son, John. Zechariah and his, his, his wife, Elizabeth, both rejoiced at John's birth. Mary says in Luke chapter 1, verse 47, My soul glorifies in the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. The shepherds rejoiced at what the angel had told them. Luke 2.20 says they returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had seen and heard, which were just as they had been told. Rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. That's why it's in our Christmas songs. But what about today? Pastor, you see, those people had something to celebrate. <laughs> there was something exciting going on. Sure, this time of year we remember the birth of Jesus, so we might use that word rejoice. But in my life, in my context, what do I have to rejoice about it's a great question so let me start with one maybe the most spectacular thing that i could think of if you're in christ can you rejoice with me that you're redeemed can we rejoice in that fact that if you're in Jesus, his blood, his sacrifice, his resurrection has redeemed you, has restored you into a right relationship with God. You will spend eternity in heaven, no pain, no exhaustion, no frustration, no anxiety, no fear. Is that something to rejoice about, church? Every day? No matter what's happening around you, can we rejoice about that? I hope so. I hope so. So when all else around you fails, can you go to here so that you can still rejoice in the Lord? Because Paul writes to us, he says, hey, you don't just rejoice then. There's some other times. It's, it's from the book of Philippians. He's writing to the church in Philippi. It's in chapter 4, once again, shockingly, beginning in verse 4, where he writes to this church and he reminds them, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Anyone? No, no, nobody knows that song but me. Oh, wow. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. There's a couple people in that. Okay, good, 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 good. Okay. And then he goes on. He says, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. 
Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. I love this passage for so many reasons. Start with this. Rejoice in the Lord when? Always. Always. Let your gentleness be obvious to everyone because the Lord is near. How, if you're in Christ, how near is the Lord to you? He's actually in you. You can't get closer than that. He's not beside you. He's not behind you. You're not even following him. He is in you. Do you get it, people? That's how close that is. Your gentleness is his. He goes on. Don't be anxious about anything. Paul, you don't live in the world we do. Paul, you don't know what it's like to live in 2021 and the anxiety and the fear and everything going on around us. How on earth could I be? Paul doesn't get it. You're right. He doesn't. He was locked up in jail waiting to have his head cut off by Caesar. He doesn't get what it's like to be anxious and have no hope and be worried about his future. He doesn't understand that at all. I think he does pretty clearly, maybe better. And he's writing these words anyway as if nothing is going on in his life at all. Paul, how in the world is this even possible? Once again, Paul's a master teacher. He doesn't just say rejoice and get over it. He says rejoice, and if you're having problems while you're rejoicing because your world's all messed up, pray and pray and pray some more. And when you're done praying, pray continually. Because when we do that, the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. I don't think we even fully understand what that verse means. We read that and we just skip right on. I want to pause for a minute to make sure you understand that Paul is giving you the key to life in this messed up world. He's giving you priorities to set and here's how you do it. You start with rejoicing. You worship your Lord and Savior. Party you want to do that very first. The second thing you do is you go to him in prayer with what? everything he says everything he says everything take everything to the lord in prayer and when you do that when you pray continually and you rejoice in the lord then the peace of god will personally come in and guard your heart and your mind the peace of god will guard you you don't have to do it god will do it for you if you set these other two priorities in place think about that How can I do that? How can I possibly set my mind to these things if there's so much evil all around me, the hopelessness that exists? Everywhere I turn, everywhere I watch, everything I see, everything I listen to drags me down. Paul's not done yet. He tells you, rejoice always, pray continually. When you do that, God will guard your heart. Now you do this and it will be an incredible life. He gives you the whole formula, verse 8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about those things. (laughs) There's your exact formula of how to get by in this world. In just a few short verses, we can summarize it in a sentence. These are the things that we're to think about. So let's evaluate our lives, shall we? The news. Whatever is true. The news, whatever is true, do those go together? No. And yet we dwell on it and we focus on it and we talk about it all the time like it is all there is. How about this? Whatever we read on social media, is it noble? Is it right? And yet we spend hours and hours and hours and hours and hours and hours dwelling on those things. How about the media that we're into? 
the movies, the music that we consume, are those pure? <laughs> are those pure? If not, then it's probably not what we should be focused on, not what we should dwell on. We should focus on the truth, the absolute truth of Jesus Christ. We should think about the magnificence of God, his holiness, his purity, his love for us and for everyone around us. And when we do, when we do change that focus and we dwell on those things, our lives will change. They will change. Our attitudes will change. Our behaviors will change. Our language <laughs> from the very beginning. Yeah, those were Paul's words too. That will change. And our love first for God and second for others will grow and grow and grow because the love of the Father will be flowing through us. The wonderful words of Christmas. We can't ignore the pain of ourselves or the people around us. And so what do we have to do? Well, here's what we've got to do. If we've got pain in our own lives that we're struggling with, we need to bring that to God. And you might be, you may be praying like crazy, trying to offer that pain up to God, and it just doesn't seem like it's connecting. Don't stop. Don't stop. Don't give up. He, he won't give up on you. But maybe you need others to partner with you. Let's give that pain fully to Jesus this morning. Let's do this. Maybe we know people around us that are suffering, that are in pain. Let's lead those people to Jesus and let him have their pain too. Just like the paralytic from the miracle last week, his friends brought him to Jesus with his pain and his suffering, and Jesus healed him in that moment because of their faith. If you're finding yourself exhausted this Christmas, I want to challenge you. If you're burnt out already, stop. Focus on what matters. Focus on what's important. Start with the worship of your Savior. Gratitude for his willingness to come and to save us. Then next phase, love and serve others with that same love of Jesus. I've worked in the church for a long time as a volunteer, as, as a person on staff. And I was a volunteer for many, many, many years. And I never once said, man, I'm just tired of serving. I'm going to give this up. I'm just going to do it. God wired me differently. I get that. I understand that. But this is my motivation right here. Galatians 6, 9 and 10. Let us not become weary of doing good. Let us not become, doesn't mean we can't change what we're doing, but let us not grow weary from doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Now that proper time might come in this lifetime, or it might not. But you will be rewarded. Don't grow weary of doing good. If you are growing weary of doing good, then I might suggest that maybe you're doing good for the wrong reason. Because if you're doing it for Christ, he provides the power, the energy, the motivation, the desire, the love for that thing that you're doing. Don't grow weary of doing good, especially for those in the family of believers, as Paul writes. Let us place our hope in Christ Jesus alone as this world falls and stumbles and crumbles all around us. Let us lift him up as the light of the world. That's what this world needs more than anything else. The light of this community, the light of your families. Make it personal. Hold Jesus up as the light in your family. And as we rejoice always, and again, I say rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. If you're struggling with any of these this Christmas season, would you please join with the family here and let us pray for you? 
just pray over you in this season. Pray you through this season, even if you will. Let us refocus on what really matters. If you're already burdened and worn out and you're, you're not looking forward to Christmas because of what it's become, would you let us pray that God will melt your heart this morning for what Christmas is truly about and refocus and reorient you on that priority and maybe let some of those other things fade away. And always, just as important, most important of all, if you have not fully devoted your life to Jesus yet, man, mm, no better time of year than right now to come forward and make that commitment. Because this is the beginning of Jesus giving everything. He gave up everything to come here. And he gave up everything not to come here as a man and just run things, but he gave up everything as a baby to have to grow up in this evil world and survive in this evil world so that he could give everything for you. It's a perfect time of year to come. And give your life to him. Father God, as we think about some of these incredible words, and I, I pray that people throughout this upcoming week, that as they hear people talk about Jesus, as they listen to the Christmas songs on the, the radio, as they hear words in those songs, that maybe you spark within them another memory, another thought, another thing about your magnificence, your glory, your love for them, your challenges to them in this world in which we live. But Father, in this moment, we want to pray for those that are in pain. We want to offer an opportunity to, to gather with them, maybe up front, maybe in this prayer room beside us, to just gather with them and pray over the situation that they're in where they're struggling. Father, maybe it is a loss that they've experienced. There's so many things that we do lose in this world. It, it's part of its fallen nature. We won't be fully restored until we're with you one day. And so, Father, there's people struggling with loss. We, we pray that as a family of believers, maybe there's some way that we can help fill in that void they're experiencing we don't know father just give us the chance father if we need reoriented and to refocus on this this holiday this holiday that simply represents the birth of your son and all that it means for those that come to know him and for those that have yet to find him may we reach out to those people that are exhausted and tired and help them remember what this day is truly all Father, as we consider the hope that you left for us, the opportunities we have to rejoice, may we continually do that in our lives. Fill us with your love this season. Father, we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray.